0: Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to Episode 6 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes share their story and experiences about life in sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca. For more content, follow the Facebook page Reading the Play, And to get the latest news, including new episodes on the way, follow on Instagram at ReadingThePlay or myself at Legacy. In this episode, I get to talk to Calgary Dino's outside hitter, Kate Pexman of the women's volleyball team. (laughs) KP's been through a lot, especially injury-wise, and some of the stories in here are just absolutely wild. But more importantly, as she'll tell you, injuries don't define her. And through it all, she has become arguably one of the most dominant players in the country. A lot of people seem to think so, as she was named U-Sports Rookie of the Year in her first season with the Dinos. She was also recently named Canada West Player of the Year for the 2017-2018 season. Well, it looks like Kate's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Kate Paxman, joining me today on Story Island, just to share some wisdom, just to share some experiences. How are you doing today, Kate?
1: Great, thanks.
0: As I just learned, born in London, Ontario.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But you moved here when you were one?
1: Yeah, a year and a half.
0: So almost full Calgarian through and through.
1: Yeah. I call myself a Calgarian.
0: Yeah. That's what it says on your roster anyway.
1: <laughs> Hometown Calgary. Yeah.
0: You started playing volleyball at a pretty early age, like grade five or six, if I can remember correctly.
1: Yeah. I think I started playing like, just at like a community, I think it was like Stars Volleyball or something out in... I don't know, Tuscany or something, um, with my brother. I was too scared to go alone. And uh, my parents signed us up and we went and really enjoyed it and then did uh, a summer camp that summer, which I guess I was nine. And then at the camp, they said, what like, you should try out for the club team. And so I went to the tryout, not really thinking I would make it um, because I was – two years younger than everyone else. The tryout was for a U13 team and I was in grade five. So everyone was Holy a lot cow. older than me. Um, but I was, a I was a big kid. I developed early. So Well,
0: <laughs> you're probably also getting 15 kills a game at that point too.
1: I didn't start out as um, a starter. I was actually, I made that team shockingly. And um, I think there were 13 kids on the team. I was the 13th kid. I was like the third setter or like the fifth outside um <laughs> second
0: libero Whatever it is.
1: Yeah, it was a slow climb
0: <laughs> Were you just happy to be there? or oh, were yeah, you like I, totally. I'm gonna get that starter spot
1: Oh, yeah, I don't think when I was nine I was really worried about starting I think I was just like still shocked that I was on the team and that someone had thought I was good enough to Be playing with those girls that were way older than me, but it was good. It was a good experience and it like showed me what I Obviously, like I had a lot to work on, but I just found like it was so much fun being on a team like that.
0: What was that time like for you at Canuck Volleyball? Was it instrumental in your development?
1: Yeah, I would say so. Like I know teams nowadays like start at like U12 or whatever, but they were one of the only clubs that had a U13 team. And obviously, like they were willing to take kids that were even younger than that. So I think, yeah, a lot would be different if I hadn't made that team. in in that very first year because I don't think I would have been exposed to it in the same way and maybe I wouldn't have had such a good experience with it and wanted to move forward with volleyball. Like maybe I would have stuck with soccer which was my other sport at the time. I was on like a club soccer team but I think I made the choice. I think I was like 12 or 13 when I decided that I just wanted to play volleyball because um, (laughs) the, the main thing, I was good at soccer and I played defense because I could kick the ball really far. And I was really good at doing the throw ins because I could throw it really far. But yeah, the running, I just hated it. I just hated it. And then <laughs> I was like the older you got, the bigger the field gets, and the more, evidently, the more running you have to do. So you
0: like forget that. It was a
1: pretty easy choice. <laughs> yeah. I was like, volleyball, the court is always going to be the same size. I'm not going to have to run that much, or I will run over very short stints.
0: <laughs> right.
1: So. Everything just makes choice. sense
0: now because whenever I see you kick the ball on the court, <laughs> it's a pretty good first touch.
1: <laughs> yeah. Someone was telling me that the other day, talking to me about it. I think it was against Brandon at home and she hit it down the line. Laura like dug it up. I kicked it. Emma put it over and then I like solo blocked the girl on a step and it was just like, oh, that was good. That was beautiful. Not recommended, but you got to do what you got to do sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And then I think I did it the next week in a game. And I remember someone coming up to me and being just like, okay, that's enough. (laughs) This is not soccer camp, okay? Eventually, you're just going to have to take it with your hands. (laughs) But I was like, you know, it works and it looks cool. So the best of both worlds. What's safer? (laughs) Taking it with your hands. (laughs) Definitely. Because that's what you're supposed to do. And that's what you practice. Right. Day in, day out, all year. The kick is just, I don't know. I don't know why. It's flashy. Yeah, it's flashy. It's just an impulse. Like if it's coming at my feet, obviously I'm going to try to kick it.
0: But you're (laughs) getting an absolute goose egg from your coach and the technical aspect is basically what's happening. Yeah,
1: that's definitely not recommended.
0: So you decide to go over to Dino's club in grade eight, playing on that U15 team. Mm -hmm. But why Dino's when there's so many other clubs out there in Calgary for you to choose from?
1: Before I switched over, I was having individual sessions with a woman named Amanda Moppet, who was at that time a coach at the Dinos Club and had also played at UFC. Um, She was a left side as well. And then she went and played a couple years of beach professionally.
0: Now Amanda Moppet Beach.
1: Yes, exactly. So she was a huge role model for me. And I had individuals with her like every week for, I don't know, a year or two. And really just like connected with how she coached and also just like who she was as a person. And then she was that head coach on that dinos club team um, that first year. So that was a huge part of my decision as well. And just, I don't know, everyone wanted to play at dinos. It's kind of like the thing. Like if you play at dinos, like that's highest level of like club volleyball, (laughs) I guess. So that was, yeah, definitely an appeal. And then it's just, it's well run. Like they always get excellent female coaches that are great role models for the girls that they're coaching. And it's so cool to have that as a young athlete, because I think we need, like, as a young girl, I hadn't been coached by a woman before I went to Dinos. Really? Yeah. Okay. So that was a big deal, too. Um, and I know that, like, my parents were super on board with that as well, just to, like, have a female role model that most of them had, like, played at C or had played for the Dinos Club and gone and played somewhere else and then came back to Calgary. But yeah, that was a huge part of it too.
0: So was that adjustment pretty easy then to a a female coach?
1: Yeah, I think it was good. I think that especially playing for someone like Amanda who already knew me and kind of like knew where I was in my development and knew what I could do. That was actually the first year she kind of recommended that I just play left side because before that I'd played setter, I'd played left side, I'd played middle, (laughs) because I was taller than everyone else But yeah, she recommended that I just kind of like choose a position and try to get really good at it So that's what I did and it worked out
0: So I want to talk about a subject It might be a recurring theme throughout this whole show But injuries already started to rear its ugly head starting in grade nine Mm -hmm. That was when you suffered your first major knee injury Yeah, first
1: major injury basically
0: Major injury, absolutely Yeah How did that happen?
1: It was at nationals of U16, so I was in grade nine. It was on the second day in power pools, and it was our last game of the day. I was playing left side, and I got set a ball that was a little bit outside. And at that time, I was growing. I didn't really have any muscle (laughs) to hold myself together, and I also had terrible landings. Looking back at it now, I can't believe that no one told me that I was landing so terribly. It's um, important kids. Yeah. It's important. It's so important. I try to tell that to everyone I coach now. Like I don't focus on anything before I focus on the landing.
0: Injury, you gotta be per- injury able to... prevention, right?
1: Totally. And like, if you think about it, like so many people talk about the approach and the arm swing and everything you do before mm-hmm. you hit the ball, but no one ever talks about what to do after, you know, and like you're in the air somehow like doing swinging your arm and kind of contorting your body and then you have to be able to get yourself safely out of it and no one ever teaches you how to do that
0: so there's a lot of variables when you're in the air oh totally out of your control too
1: yeah and a lot of people don't go up in control they kind of just figure if i can get to the ball and hit it that's my goal and then i'll come down and everything probably will be fine and usually it probably is fine but it only takes one landing for it not to be fine So basically that's what happened to me. I went up, the ball was outside my body. I kind of reached over my head because I'm right-handed and hit the ball. Actually, I don't even know if I hit it. I have it on videotape, but I refused to watch it. Mm -hmm. And just came down, kind of like landed on my left leg, bent and kind of twisted because my body was turning and heard a pop and that was it.
0: Was it instant pain or was there just a moment of shock there that you're like, what just happened? Yeah,
1: it was not painful that's what everyone asked me if it was like super painful and it honestly didn't really feel like pain. It felt kind of like instability, I guess. Hmm. Um, yeah. cause I kept playing. I was like, Oh, that felt kind of weird. Like I've never <laughs> felt anything like that before. You
0: kept before. playing on the pop after the pop.
1: Yeah. I played a couple more points and like, I just felt like I couldn't really like properly straighten my leg. And I went up to like jump and hit it. Another time, and then I was like, mm, I think I should probably stop. So I asked my coach to sub me out, sat down on the bench, like after the game, put some ice on it, went home, didn't really think anything of it because I'd like hyperextended my knees before on bad landings, but this was obviously different. And then the next morning, it was our quarterfinal at Nationals, and I tried to warm up <laughs> and took one jump and was like no something is really wrong and so actually one of our family friends dr maywissa who has a son on the men's volleyball team derek he had a look at my knee on like a bench at the bmo center and was like you need to come see me monday morning like this is real deal
0: was there any swelling at all like wouldn't that no not really no
1: yeah And so
0: that's why you went to warm up the next day.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I was like, I didn't really know what it was and I couldn't really straighten my knee properly. And that was what was painful. Like as soon as I jumped and straightened my my legs, I could feel it. And I was like, oh, that doesn't feel like a hyperextended knee. That feels like something else. So I went and saw Wina on Monday morning. He got me in for an MRI and then found out it was ACL tear, and got me in for surgery within a month, basically. Yeah, I was so lucky.
0: Pulled some strings. Oh my
1: gosh, yeah. Thank goodness. He was the MVP of that whole shenanigan. Because I got in for surgery within a month, because it didn't swell, basically. Like, right. a lot of the time you have to wait a while for surgery, because it's so swollen, and right. they won't operate it on if it's not swollen. Another reason was because... They were worried because I was only 14 that I wasn't done growing. And so like the surgery they would do if I hadn't been done growing would have, I'm not a medical doctor, but I assume it would have like pulled a little bit on the repair that they did. So I got an x-ray and they told me that my growth plates were gone. So it was good news and bad news because I was like, well, I mean, I would not mind growing a little bit more, but it also meant that I could get surgery earlier. So
0: Mm, yeah. But it resulted in you not being able to play your grade 10 year then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I got surgery in June. Actually, the, I had surgery the day of my grade nine graduation, so I couldn't go to that either. Did you like um, FaceTime
0: into that or something or what?
1: Oh, FaceTime like didn't exist back then. I was in grade nine. Um, no, there was like <laughs> my friends, they were so cute of them. They cut a little picture of my face out and stuck it to a popsicle stick. And then, like, carried me around with them all night and, like, took pictures. And then That's they awesome. came over in the next morning and showed them to me. That was pretty, that it's was like, pretty as, cool. As if you were there? Yeah, exactly. As if I had witnessed the whole thing. But looking back at it now, a grade 9 graduation is not that big a deal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so I had surgery in June. I was on basically bed rest for, like, two weeks. My left leg shrunk. It looked so much different than my right leg. Because there was basically like no muscle left because I was on crutches and couldn't like weight bear at all.
0: So it was like a regular leg and a toothpick. Exactly.
1: It was like skinnier than my knee. <laughs>
0: um, was a hard to find matching socks?
1: <laughs> it was more the actually it was more the quad uh, upper leg. Yeah, but yeah. My jeans were definitely like tight on one leg, loose <laughs> on the other. And it t- that was honestly like that took so long to come back to like looking the same. Even like a couple of years ago, I was like, I still feel like they look different, huh. but not noticeably. I did rehab all summer, went to high school and like basically was like an assistant coach on the junior team because they knew I couldn't play, but was still doing like rehab stuff and strengthening stuff.
0: What do you think was the best either exercise or advice that strengthened your leg back to where it needed to be?
1: In terms of exercise, I would say the wobble board. Became my best friend (laughs) Hmm. and hamstring curls because when they repair your ACL, the way they did it on mine was they took out a bit of your hamstring and thread it through your knee and screw it in. Basically, like I can still you can still feel it nowadays. Like my hamstring doesn't feel the same on either side. Um, Crazy, but yeah, hamstring curls. And then honestly, like advice-wise, it was be aware of your landings. It's a simple thing to think about, but when you try to implement it in the game, like I remember coming back and being awful for like a whole month because i mean not only had i not played in nine months but i was only thinking about landings and i was so preoccupied by it but i'm glad that i spent the time like learning how to land properly and learning how to be aware of it in the air because i think that's what's really helped me knock on wood that i haven't had a reoccurrence of a bad landing right and these days if i have a bad landing if I'm up in the air and I'm like, "Mm, I don't think I could land from this. I just fall. I just fall down on landing because then my knees don't take the impact. But yeah, I remember some coaches being like, why do you fall down all the time? Like, it's not necessary. I'm like, no, it's just a safe landing procedure. It is necessary. (laughs) It is necessary.
0: Well, and it makes sense. You think in the moment, it's just one point. Yeah. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, that could have been your whole season potentially, right?
1: It could have been another year. It's like,
0: I want to play in the postseason. I'm not just going to risk a bad landing when I'm getting the set point in a Mm -hmm. 25-16, you know, set or something like that. Yeah, not worth it. What was grade 11 like for you then? Because you actually got to play then.
1: Yeah, I played on the senior team. We won cities and we had an awesome team. Like, Chev was on that team. Well, Chev and I have gone to school together since junior high. She's a grade older than me, but we've known each other for a long time and played together for a long time. And then uh, I think we came fourth at Provincials. So that high school season was really, really good, really fun. And then that club year was probably my best club year ever, U-17. Why was that? Um, We had a really good team and... (laughs) Like, Beth was on that team. Mm-hmm. We played in a lot of tournaments. We went to Minneapolis for a tournament and basically, like, had an undefeated season. Like, we didn't lose a single set until the national final. And we lost the first set. And we all were all kind of shook by it. But we rebounded and won. One and three. So, yeah. That was super cool. And plus, like, the year before, my U16 year, we basically, like, had the same team, had the same coaches, Got to the national final. We were up a set and 24 19 and we lost. <laughs> Sometimes I still question how. But yeah, so it was basically like a whole year of like thinking about that loss and like thinking about what we should have done, what we could have done in that moment and how we let it slip away. So it felt like a big buildup to kind of pay off mm-hmm. at, at nationals.
0: What do you think you could have done differently?
1: Well, a lot of things. Give me one st- I-
0: Give me the big thing.
1: I don't know. Playing it back in my head like they basically <laughs> waited till 2419 to turn it on and then just played better than we did. <laughs> and we're like who like this is a different team. Like who are these people? I mean, I was playing right side then because that was the year I came back from having my knee surgery and at right side you just get like a lot more in system sets than you do as a left side like a lot more controlled sets a lot less sets so yeah i think basically what happened was they went on a serving run we couldn't pass well enough to for our setter to set me and so i got like two balls one of which i missed down the line by like an inch might have been in too Who knows? (laughs) i can still like replay that in my mind but yeah i mean like in hindsight i would have lined up at left side and got her to set me over there but i don't know i was 15 and (laughs) i didn't have any perspective so just stood there at right side waiting to be set. It made it so much more special in, in U17 that we hadn't won the year before and that we'd felt what it feels like to lose. So,
0: so a lot of good lessons in that year and a lot of confidence for you heading into grade 12 then. Mm -hmm. What was that final season of high school like for you?
1: It was good. I, other than the high school part, we had a preseason tournament in September. Um, and I got a really bad concussion. I got hit in the face while I was standing in four and hit me in the side of the head. And that was my first like real experience with a concussion. And it was pretty bad. Like I couldn't go to school for six weeks. I had to drop some of my classes and yeah, it was a hard injury to deal with just because a physical injury, like it obviously takes you out of sport and it is difficult to, frustrating to deal with, but, um, a head injury is like, it's so much, it affects so many other things in your life that a physical injury doesn't like, you can't read a book, you know, or (laughs) watch TV or do schoolwork. Like that was really hard to deal with. And also I think in grade 12, like I was super lucky that I already had committed to Dinos and I knew where I was going and I had that safety net kind of.
0: You're talking Dinos varsity. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that was a good kind of relief. I think I would have been a lot more worried about it if I hadn't had hadn't decided where I wanted to go. So yeah, that took me out basically of our our whole high school season. Then I came back for like the week leading up to cities. I played in the quarter and the semi. And then in the city final, I broke my own wrist and then continued to play the rest of the game. And just like at every timeout, I just got my coach. I was like, I think I I came off, I think it was like in the second set, We came off and my coach was like, are you okay? Like you keep holding your wrist. I'm like, yeah, I think I just sprained it. Do you put some tape on it? And so she did. And then at every subsequent timeout, I was like, yeah, just could you put some more tape on it? Could you put some more tape on it?
0: By the end, was it like a big, by full the end, on it was like air- a cast, a, cast, basically. a club.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically, I just like collided with a girl. We were both going for the same ball. I hit her leg really hard, apparently. And uh, yeah, I heard it at the time, but I didn't want to stop playing because I, we were in the city final. I didn't want to stop playing. So. Maybe
0: it wasn't initially broken.
1: Yeah, maybe I broke it further by playing on it. I don't know. Yeah, and then I didn't play at Provincials because I had a broken wrist. But it was still good. That was actually the only year we got a medal at Provincials. We got bronze, which was, like, super sweet to be a part of, even though I wasn't playing. Like, I hadn't experienced that before. Like, being just as happy to win a medal not being on the court. I thought that would be different than it was, but it was just the same feeling, part of the team.
0: So right around this time for you in high school, you were pretty busy on the beach courts as well, (laughs) but that obviously was a different schedule than your regular season for indoor.
1: Yeah. Basically your school season would go September to November. Club would start December 1st, would go till mid-May. And then as soon as you could, you'd get out on the beach courts and that would go May to August usually, so... It fit, fits in well, but it's a full a full year. Yeah, I started playing beach, I think, maybe 2008. Played with a couple of different partners and then played kind of like a competitive summer, summer after grade 10. And we ended up winning nationals at U16 and then played another kind of competitive summer, the summer after grade 12, and um, with a different partner and ended up winning nationals that year as well.
0: So for you, why do you decide to play beach in the summer in terms of training and that perspective in terms of help maybe helping to develop your game for indoor?
1: For me it was kind of just it was there were a lot of factors. I mean if you if there was a good partner you wanted to play with, you were excited about, if you had I don't know the free time and the desire as well like after a long club season if you were feeling kind of burnt out, I you would decide not to play, like the summer after grade 11, I didn't. The summer after grade 12, I I played Team Alberta indoor for the first time, because it, kind of, it was something I'd never done in my whole time in high school, and junior high I'd never gone. I never played Team Alberta. It was kind of like a thing I felt like I needed to check off the list before I went to university. A rite of passage. Yeah, and so I did that for basically most of July. We were in Edmonton. I billeted with a, a family in Edmonton, and then tournament was in Winnipeg and I was actually on because of my birthday I was on a U-17 team but the tournament was a U-18 tournament and we ended up winning which was awesome and then I we came back from Winnipeg and the next day me and my partner flew to California to play I think like four tournaments in a week or something because they they have them every other day in California so we played some tournaments did pretty well and then came home and practiced for a week and then we went to Parksville or to Vancouver first. Sorry. We went to Vancouver first with Team Alberta Beach. We stayed in like a hostel at Kitts, which was totally awesome as like a a seventeen year old. I thought that was super fun. Um looking back at it now, it was a little a little grungy. But <laughs> we were covered in sand all day and like Who weren't cares? that clean. No one uh, no one really cared.
0: Just beach bombing it, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. Um so we trained there for a couple days with Team BC, and then we actually took the ferry to the island because nationals were in Parksville that year. And yeah, my partner and I won. It was awesome. Like The the setup there is really, really great. You play right beside the ocean. The weather was awesome. Yeah, so that was a full summer before I came to university.
0: Transitioning now into your decision to go to university, like you were saying before that you had already committed to the dinos in high school. Were you entertaining any other offers though at the time? Like, was there any part of you that wanted to leave Calgary, explore a different part of maybe Canada, play Div One down in the States?
1: I think there were parts of me that thought that's what I should do, was reach out to other schools and schools in the States, other schools in Canwest, But I think deep down, like I knew I wanted to go to Calgary and that made my decision really easy. And it also allowed me to commit at a pretty young age. Like I committed on my 16th birthday.
0: It's a heck of a birthday gift. I
1: know. It was pretty good. Yeah. And it's, and it's easy to remember too. Cause I was like, when did I, when did I actually commit? And I was like, no, it was on my 16th birthday. I sent Nat an email and I said, I want to come to U of C. What are the steps that like need to happen? And she said, you can come to my office tomorrow and we'll sign the papers.
0: What was most important to you, though, when it came down to making your decision? Was it school? Was it the program? Was it the coach? Was it the system? Was it the team? The culture?
1: I don't know if I can just choose one. Definitely, I would say school and coach. School was always super important to me, and I knew what I wanted to do, and I knew that I wanted to be in engineering, which actually, (laughs) wanting to be in engineering made my me turning down other schools a lot easier because for a lot of them i could just say well you don't have an engineering program or you don't have a well-renowned engineering program so that made an easy excuse for me but yeah university of calgary has an awesome engineering school Um, they also had the program that i was really interested in geomatics engineering so that was a big part of it and then also like knowing that being from calgary being having played five years in the dinos club and Nat had actually coached me. She was just like an assistant coach when I was in U16. Actually, the year I tore my ACL, and that was before she'd been hired to be the head coach at U of C. And I loved having her as a coach then, and really responded well to her coaching style, and felt like I learned a lot that year. I mean, I I reached out to other schools. Like I sent videos to. A couple schools in the States, um, a couple other schools in Canwest were interested in me. But most of the schools in the States would respond to my email with my my recruiting video in it and ask, why are you wearing a knee brace? What's the story? And as soon as I told them that I'd had surgery and that I had had my ACL done, it was like they cut contact.
0: Red flags, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think about it, for them, it's an investment.
1: Yeah, it's so much more of a business.
0: You bring up an interesting point, though, because the injuries are so much of your story. But Nat was just okay and confident with giving you your shot on the team, despite your injury past.
1: Yeah, it was never a big deal with her, I think, because she knows like how much I love volleyball, how invested I am in it. And it wasn't really. Yeah, it wasn't a big deal. She never was like mentioned it. In, I'm sure it was in the back of her mind like this girl gets injured a lot. Um, is it going to be worth it? But I think she just always believed in me and believed in like how hard I worked and I don't know the skill I could have given, given a full year of being injury free. And I've also like I've learned to deal with it as well. Like being injured doesn't define me as a player just because random fluky things happen to me like It doesn't change who I am as a player. It doesn't change like what I can contribute. So I think having that kind of belief that she believed in in me and like saw my potential and saw what I could contribute to the team. That was a huge pull too. Because having someone believe in you is
0: so powerful. It's everything when you're that age. Absolutely. Yeah. Or maybe Nat was like, hey, come to the dinos and we can teach you how to land properly and (laughs) not run into teammates.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, it's still not working. (laughs) still haven't completely learned that lesson.
0: (laughs) Oh, we will get to more of that. So you always wanted to pursue indoor, though. Beach was never an option in terms of taking it more seriously or taking it to a more elevated arena.
1: There's obviously positive things about beach um, that I really loved. Kind of like having the freedom to pick your own partner. Basically kind of doing a lot more self-coaching and Mm -hmm. self-strategizing with your partner. Because you don't usually have a full-time coach. And, and even if you do, you can't talk to them during the game. You can only talk to them before and after. So that freedom was really cool. But what I missed most playing beach compared to indoor was the team dynamic. Because playing beach, you get one person to talk to. You get one person to joke around with. And compared with indoor, like you can come to practice, talk to 10 people, and then come to practice the next day and talk to 10 different people. And joke around with them, and have funny inside jokes with them, or have funny handshakes. That was, I think, one of the main draws. And also that when I was making my decision, beach as a post-secondary sport was not as prevalent as it is now. The NC2A in the last basically four years has grown exponentially in their beach programs, and now it really is like a viable option to go to a and to a school in the states and um play beach volleyball but when i was making my decision it never even really crossed my mind
0: so after you commit to nat and you know you're playing for the dinos was that an easy transition for you going from high school to first year university
1: no (laughs) no i would not say it was easy basically that first month that like september of first year i cried most days at practice (laughs)
0: volleyball wise or because of school Oh,
1: everything it's so overwhelming like Mm. going into university having like a new you've been so comfortable in high school you know what's going to happen you know where to be at what time and you know where to eat lunch and like who like where your friends will be at lunch and and what classes you need to go to and what you need to do to pass those classes and university it's just like everything is new the team is new your classes are new it's The school is so much harder. Um, It's a
0: bigger scale too.
1: Yeah. And it's just, you have new coaches, they're running new systems. You're trying to learn all these new things and remember all these new things. And that is really hard for me. I do not have a great memory. So kind of the combination of all of it, it was hard. Basically, like all of first semester was so hard for me. The only thing that like got me through it was how great the, the girls were and how understanding they were and how understanding Nat was like, I remember like multiple times just like sitting after practice with her, just like crying. And I was just like bawling my eyes out to her. And she, was, she would just sit there and listen to me blabber about, I don't know, failing a test or like filling in a scantron wrong or whatever it was or having a bad day at practice. Yeah, she would just sit there and listen to me. And it was like, I don't think I would have got that from anyone else.
0: Were you able to develop a bond with one or two of the girls right off the bat, though, that maybe you could just go to, that you could maybe confide in, or just talk through a bad day with someone?
1: Yeah. The two girls I was closest with um, when I came into first year were um, Beth Vanell and Erica Meyer, because I'd played club with them for four years before coming to Dinos, and we all kind of like, I don't want to say made the decision to come to um, Dinos together, but it was like a factor, right? Like you're going in with these people you know and you're comfortable with and you like playing with. And Erica was also in engineering. So we had all the same classes. We were partners in all of our labs. So that was huge, like having someone who was going through the same school and volleyball stuff that I was and kind of like understood how hard it was. And when she would have a bad day, I was there for her. And when I would have a bad day, a lot more often than she would, she would just be there to listen to me rant.
0: She didn't come in the same year as you did though. Did no, she? she did. She did.
1: Yeah, we were we were in the same grade. That makes um, the
0: struggle even more relatable. Though.
1: Yeah, like she was always there and basically for our first two years, we were in every class together. Spent like every minute of every day together. <laughs> We'd go to school all day, do our homework together, go to practice. So we shared we shared a lot in those two years and that was like that was huge for me to have someone like you could you know, could sit with in class, but then you could also work with after and like get help if you needed it.
0: So having that overwhelming feeling be with you that entire first semester, did that affect your play on the court though?
1: I don't think so. I think it was playing was more like an outlet and especially like game days were so exciting. Like it never had been that big of a deal before. Before you come to university, you don't really understand like what goes into a game day and like how much time you spend like just gearing up to play a game. It's like a day event. Like you wake up and you go to serve Pass and you come home, do a little bit of homework, have a nap, go for a pregame meal, go to the game, warm up for an hour, play for two hours basically, cool down after. It's like a whole day a whole day scenario. So that was pretty cool. And it kind of gave me those that like Friday and Saturday of every week, like to not have to think about school and focus on volleyball for those moments. And yeah, I loved it. Well,
0: oh, I think that's key that you were able to compartmentalize it because a lot of people that I talked to, not a lot, but a fair amount would say that it really does affect their performance on the playing surface.
1: Yeah. I don't know. It's I have a short memory, so maybe it's a maybe it's a blessing and a curse, but
0: it's an absolute blessing because whether it's that or just getting past the bad point
1: doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Yeah, and I can remember like there would be days when I would go to practice and I'd like see an email about a test that I'd failed right before practice and that would throw me if I saw it like right before practice and I had to right. go out yeah. and play when I was upset about something that had happened. But yeah, basically I I don't check my emails on game days anymore. I remember I accidentally did it once this year and <laughs> I realized I'd I told someone that I was in a group with, like a group on a group project. I told them I was gonna submit our project on Friday morning. I'd forgotten to do it. And then at like we were going to warm up. Our game was at six. I think we were in Regina. Our game was at six. It was like four forty five. We were sitting in the locker room. I remembered that I hadn't submitted it and I just freaked out. I like called my group member. I was like, I'm so sorry. I forgot to submit it. It's on my computer back at the hotel. Like there's nothing I can do about it until after the game. Like I couldn't go back to the hotel and and submit the assignment. So I sent my prof this like frantic email and said, I'm at a volleyball game and I I can't submit it until after the game. But I promise as soon as I get back to the hotel, I I will submit it. Cause it was due at like 12 p.m. on a Friday oh, or something. Yeah, and uh, that threw me during the game. I like it was against Regina, so luckily it wasn't a huge, a huge challenge for us last year. But I remember like thinking about it in the game, and also like not only is it like me that I've screwed up, but it's that, like someone else was depending on yeah, me to do Yeah, you let the team down
0: in that moment, <laughs> and
1: I let them down. Yeah.
0: What did the prof say?
1: It was fine. It was okay. He was totally okay. fine about it. He was like, "That's okay. I won't deduct marks, but don't let it happen again." I was like, "Okay, no problem. I will get her to submit the assignments." <laughs> yeah. So now I'm not. I'm not trusted to submit our assignments. But
0: it's a good piece of advice, though. Don't check your emails before a game.
1: Yeah. Don't even like. Don't look at your phone. What's What are you gonna find on there? That's good. Probably nothing.
0: Just rely on the people around you to pump you up for the yeah, game, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. And like, we always just like play games in the locker room, or like, if there's a whiteboard, we'll like play Hangman or tic tac toe or something. But yeah, we just joke around, try not to take ourselves too seriously before a game. Cause and
0: that's how it should be. Not trying to submit a group project <laughs> 30 minutes before a game is yeah, supposed to start. That
1: was, that was a, a mistake <laughs> on my part. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's a really great story, Kate, because. The next thing I want to talk to you about is balancing sports and school and even social life, all of that. So for you, what does a typical day look like because you are in that engineering program? And maybe it looks different in year one than it does now.
1: Yeah, totally. As I've kind of been able to handle more things and been able to balance more things in university um, with classes in volleyball, I've kind of upped my class intake, if you will. Like in my first and second years, I took three classes a semester. Now I'm taking five and five, which is a lot more time consuming, but I'm in a program that I really love. So it's all good. Um, but
0: looking back on year one, you're like, I'm overwhelmed, but I'm taking three classes.
1: Totally. Like looking back on year one, that person would have never believed that like I could be doing all the things I'm doing now and not lose my all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So basically now a typical day would be wake up, have breakfast, go to school for nine o'clock, usually work out for an hour, and then have classes basically back to back from 10 until four or five. And if there's any breaks in there, like I'll be working on group projects or trying to find time to have lunch or <laughs> yeah, it's mostly, it's, they're pretty full days. And then four or five o'clock we'll have practice, which is an hour and a half, but you have to get there usually 45 minutes early to change and chat and warm up and get taped. That was really time consuming this year because I got my ankles taped before every practice. And then we'll be on court for an hour and a half. Um, After practice, we stretch for minimum 10 minutes, preferably more. And then on the way back to the locker room, grab some ice if you need it, ice for 15 minutes, pack up all your stuff and head home and usually last year especially we had late practices basically all because of me because my, all of my labs went to five o'clock every day so we had to practice in the like five thirty to 7 time slot instead of 4 to five thirty, which everyone on my team was super happy with me about um, always
0: catering to kate <laughs> i know
1: i was like i'm so sorry guys but i really Don't have any choice. These classes are offered once a year. I have to take them. They have three hour labs every week. There's nothing I can do about it. But eventually they were understanding. Luckily, I will say this year, I don't have any classes that go to five o'clock. So it will be someone else causing those issues. (laughs) Yeah. And then most days last year, because we practiced so late, I'd get home probably like 7.45 or eight, eat dinner, which luckily because I live at home was prepared for me. So that was great. And then crash, basically, I don't really do homework at home because I don't really have any time to. I'll only do it if there's like something pressing like the next day or after like prepare for a presentation or something. But I try not to really do any homework at home because I'm just too exhausted after a full day. And yeah, crash out, try to get some sleep, and then wake up and do it all over again the next day.
0: So you really have to be intentional. And on point with, even with your schoolwork when you're doing it at school.
1: Yeah, totally. Cause that's and really think, the only
0: time you give yourself to do schoolwork.
1: Yeah. That's one of the main things I've learned after being in university for four years is that time management is like the most important skill and being able to like realize you have half an hour to do something and get it done in half an hour and not have it take two hours cause you're talking to someone or distracted by your phone or whatever it may be. But being able to just like set aside a block of time get it done. If it's not perfect, that's okay. Yeah. You should strive for a hundred percent on everything, but if you don't have the time to do it, it's not a big deal. As long as you can get it done to the best of your ability at that time. I think that's good enough.
0: When did you feel you figured out that time management piece though? Third year. Yeah.
1: It took me two years. Yeah. It took me, (laughs) it took me longer than it should have, but basically the engineering program at U of C has an option for varsity athletes and that you can spread out usually the first year of engineering is ridiculously busy and you have to take all these intro classes and it's usually six and six so six six classes a semester Um, but at ufc they let you spread it out over two years and then pick your major at the end of your second year instead of at the end of your first year so i took that lenience and spread my first year out over two years which at the time like looking back at it now was totally necessary like i couldn't have handled a real first year and also like had the role that I did on the volleyball team. So yeah, those two years were kind of learning years and understanding what it took to like be an athlete and be a student and do as well as I wanted to do in in both aspects. And I think also like getting into my program after second year, that was really motivating for me because a lot of the classes and you take in first year in engineering, like aren't what you want to be taking, you know, like they're general physics, electricity and magnetism. Like I hated that class and it's not, I've not used it since I've been in geomatics. And I, at the time I knew it wouldn't be useful to me. I was not motivated to like try really hard in that class because I knew I wouldn't need it. I knew I just needed to pass. Yeah, definitely since then. And like, not only like feel it in my day-to-day life, but like my grades have gone up a lot. I'm way more interested in the classes that I'm taking. And that allows me to like, enjoy spending time doing them and not kind of dread it. Well,
0: it gets you in a better headspace too, I think.
1: Yeah. For volleyball, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a lot happier.
0: What was your role on the court in the first year though? Were you thrust right into left side? Were yeah. you coming off the bench?
1: I started every game as P1. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, I, I played a big role. Honestly, I don't think I totally expected the role that I was given and the amount of expectation that was on me, I think I thrived in it. Like that had been the role I'd had on all the other teams I'd been on. You know, like all like most of my club teams, I was a starter and I played left side at P1. Like that's what I was used to.
0: So what were some of the bigger differences then when you started competing in the Canada West, even though you were playing in a similar scenario?
1: For me, it was the length of the games. <laughs> I remember halfway through the third set, Maybe I could get to the fourth set and like that first year all of our games went to five like it was just ridiculous Like I think our first six games five of them went to five sets And so like as a first year I'd never played a five-set match before or like I'd played a couple of them at the Like national tournaments or whatever Um, But
0: normally club games don't really go to five sets.
1: No club games are best of three (laughs) So that was a huge adjustment for me. And like, I remember usually, like, third or fourth set, depending on which one we were usually losing, I would get taken out, and Nat would just tell me to sit down on the bench and like rest. Basically, like, I knew, and she knew that like it would be really hard for me to make it all the way through a five set match and like still be playing at my best. So she kind of built in breaks for me, which was awesome. I remember like getting to sit down on the bench and just like drink some water and just like watch the game. And I was like, oh, wow, this is so great. I just, I'm really thankful that I got taken out. Because most of the time it wasn't because I was playing bad. It was just because the game was going up really long. Were you doing like some
0: veteran moves to slow the game down, like (laughs) tying your shoe every other point? Or
1: I tried that this year. (laughs) I tried to untie my shoe and then tie it back up after a really long rally. So I kind of turned away from the ref and like fiddled with my shoelace, but he totally like knew what I was doing and knew that my shoelace wasn't oh, they, untied. Seen all. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't think he gave me a yellow card, but he like gave me a really dirty look and I was like, yeah, bad acting on my part.
0: <laughs> so let's move on to your second year. And there's a ton of stories coming out of that season, despite it not counting towards your eligibility, ironically.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So we call that a red shirt year. What happened in that year?
1: Um, well, I went into it not thinking it would be a redshirt year. I um, played most of September in preseason. It was totally fine. We went to our preseason tournament in Edmonton, which we frequent every year. And um, we were playing UBCO, and I went up for a joust with the setter because the ball was tight. I'm just going to say that she came under the net and I landed on her. <laughs> not my fault. And yeah, broke my ankle on impact. Um, It was the, like to this day, probably the most painful thing that's ever happened to me. It was in the McEwen gym. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I came down like instant pain. I heard it crack and was like screaming, like rolling around in pain and got carried off the court, taken to the hospital in Edmonton by one of our assistant coaches at the time and his little daughter, which was so cute. And Chev came with me.
0: Chev's always got your oh, back, Chev,
1: and um, got an X-ray. It was an avulsion fracture, which means like the ligament tore a bit of the bone off. Which most of the time means it doesn't have to be like pinned or surgically repaired. The bone will just like dissolve in your body, I guess. So, I was in an air cast for four weeks, six no six weeks, and um, I wasn't supposed to uh, weight bear, and so. But I had all these classes around the university and like in your first your first and second year for me, my classes were all over campus. Like it was hard to walk there in 10, ten minutes or less. And so now I'm on crutches and I remember the first day back at school, I was on crutches. I was trying to get bet- from one class to another. And I remember just like being exhausted from trying to get there on time. And I just remember sitting down on a bench calling my mom and I was like, mom, this is not gonna work. I can't do this. I can't crush myself around university every day. And she was like, okay, I'm on it. So then I like eventually get to class like 15 minutes late. My friends are like, where were you? Where were you? I'm like, okay, well, thanks for having my back. You just walked (laughs) away from me. And then by the, so my mom calls me back at the end of the day and I've had like pretty much the worst day ever. Like I have been crutching around university. I'm sweating because it was like October, nice and warm, Calgary, October. And uh, had a pretty bad day. My mom calls me up. She goes, Kate. I found a knee scooter. And I was like, okay, first of all, what's a knee scooter? And so she'd gone to one of those like medical supply places in Southeast Calgary and picked up this knee scooter, which basically is like a foam pad at the height of your knee, basically four wheels and handles with brakes. And you basically put your, your bad leg up on the pad, like the knee pad. And then you can just push yourself around like you're on a real scooter (laughs)
0: How did you feel about that initially?
1: Initially, it was I was pretty embarrassed to be rolling around school on that. Plus, because a lot of the floors at UFC are brick. And so oh, yeah, I would be rolling right. down the hallway like, and everyone would turn and look at me. And I was just like, don't mind me. I'm just here on my knee scooter. But then I started thinking it was kind of cool. And a lot of people wanted to try it out. So they'd be like, oh man, can I ride your knee scooter? And I was like, yeah, sure. So I made a lot of friends that year because I had a knee scooter to share and everyone wanted to ride around on it.
0: And it made the mobility to get to your classes a lot smoother.
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. That was that was a game changer. The next day I was like like rolling to class like I would be like beating my friends and be like, "Come on, guys. You why yeah. are you so slow today?" Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was that was pretty fun. So Penny gets the MVP for that. Penny definitely gets the MVP. There was only one mishap on the knee scooter, which was Erica and I were sitting outside doing homework probably and we're outside the oval. I don't know if you know what the oval, but there's like picnic tables, concrete picnic tables outside yeah, and they're on these big like concrete paver stones basically, Mm -hmm. which are not that flat. And so I remember we were like, okay, it's time to go to class. We're packing up our stuff and I get on my knee scooter. I have like a heavy backpack on like my computer in it and my binders and my notebooks and I start rolling. I get up some speed and then my the front wheels of my knee scoot- scooter hit a crack in the pavers, and I go over the handlebars on my knee scooter. My, my backpack comes and hits me in the back of the head, like with my computer first hits me in the back of the head. My head goes onto the pavement. I like cut my knee open, and then we were like, <laughs> "Oh, God. I was like lying there on the pavement. <laughs> like, are you serious? Like, I'm lying here with the boot on my ankle." Just having gone over the handlebars of my knee scooter. And Erica was so concerned. She was like, Kate, hey, we're not going to class. We like go to AT. I get like a band aid on my knee and my elbow. I think we're all cut up.
0: And you cleared concussion protocol?
1: Yeah, it was totally fine. Got a nice strong noggin. And uh, I got like a cut on my forehead too. But yeah, that was the only incident. But other than that, the knee scooter treated me well. And I remember showing up to practice and being like, now I was like, why are you all bandaged up? I'm like, oh, it's like, I know I'm already injured, but I think I just made it a little bit worse. (laughs) Yeah, I retired the knee scooter after probably two weeks. And then just had to walk around in my ankle boot.
0: I feel like I need to start a campaign to get the knee scooter into the Dinos Hall of Fame.
1: It is super fun. People keep asking me about it. Because when they injure their ankles, they're like, oh, you had a knee scooter, right? Like, can I borrow it? Like, thinking I own the knee scooter. I'm like, no, I didn't pay $200 for this knee scooter. I just rented it for two weeks.
0: So that takes you to just right around Christmas time, maybe a little after in January. Your ankle's doing fine then. You're ready to get back on the court.
1: Yeah, so I started practicing again after Christmas. I think we probably went to that New Year's tournament in Edmonton, which we also frequent most years. It's everyone's favorite, and uh, came back from that it was totally fine. At that point, was pretty determined not to have that be a redshirt year, even though I'd missed the first half. I still felt like if I could get half a season and playoffs in, that would be worth it to use a year of eligibility. So we went to Regina. My first game back, I think it was in the second set. I was playing left side. I was in six and our libero was in five. We went for a ball. I went to the left, my left. She went to her right kind of to cross over, to dig a ball. And somehow I got my hand stuck underneath her. And basically as she came across towards me, my pinky on my left hand got caught in either her jersey or her shorts. I don't know what. And folded all the way back. To the top of my hand and then it happened so quickly i remember after the, the play was down i remember being like mm, that wasn't that painful i was like i think i'm all right and then i looked down at my hand and basically the top of my pinky luckily it didn't break the skin but the top of my pinky had shifted about a centimeter up away from the other from the joint so i looked down at my hand and i'm like yeah not okay i'm not okay and I come off immediately and our trainer looks at it and is like, oh, I think it's just dislocated. I'm like, oh, well, then can't you just like pop it back in and put some tape on it? It'll be fine. She's like, well, I don't think I should pop it back in. I think you should go get an x-ray because it it looks like it could be dislocated, but it also could be just broken like so close to the joint that it would be really bad if she tried to put it back in. So I'm like, oh, okay. So, and this was a weird thing too, was like the Wednesday before we were supposed to go, I was talking to my mom. And my parents come to a lot of games. They come to all of our home games and most of our away games too. And so I was talking to my mom, I was like, oh, are you coming to Regina, like to watch us play? And she was like, well, I hadn't planned on it, but like, do you want me to? And I was like, well, I mean, like it'd be nice for you to be there for my first game back, blah, blah, blah. She's like, okay. So she <laughs> she ends up coming, thank goodness, because then once this my I broke my finger, she had to take me to the hospital. I got an X-ray and basically... It had broken so close to the top of the medial metatarsal, I think it's called. It had broken so close to the top of the joint that it looked like it was dislocated, but the top basically the top nub of that middle bone right. was sep completely separated from the bottom. So the people at the hospital were like, Well, this needs to be you need to get it pinned. So I say, Okay, when can I get when can I get that done? And they say, Well, you can come in tomorrow, seven AM, and we'll try to fit you in with one of our plastic surgeons because apparently to do that you need a plastic surgeon the whole thing is like they're gonna have to put me under so i'm gonna have to fast all day and have an iv in so i go back 7 a.m the next morning i haven't eaten they like dress me in the hospital gown put my iv in and i wait there until 4 p.m the doctor comes over he says i can't fit you in today because all my hours are up and at this we're still in regina and like my team is playing so i'm like okay what, what should I do? And he says, I have a friend back in Calgary. He works at the hand clinic at the Foothills hospital. So I'm going to get you in with him tomorrow morning, which at this point was a, it was a Saturday. And he said, I'll get you in on Sunday morning. I said, okay, great. I ended up flying home on that Saturday night because the team was going, not going home till Sunday. So I fly home and the next morning we go to the Foothills hospital, to the hand clinic It was like 7 a.m. on a Sunday morning. There was no one there. We weren't even sure if it was open. And we go in and there's a super nice guy. He says, yep, I got the message from the guy in Regina. I can do your finger right now. And they weren't going to have to put me under, which was the best part. So they just freeze it at the knuckle. He just put it back in place, basically, once it was frozen and set it in a cast and said, come back in, I don't know what it was, like four or five days and we'll see if it's still straight and if it's still straight then we won't have to pin it. I go back 4 or 5 days later and he says, "Unfortunately, it's not still straight, so we're going to have to pin it." So he freezes it again. He drills, it's so weird the way they do it. They have these teen this like what looks like a power drill. Right. And they attach a teeny little metal drill bit basically into the end of it, turn it on and drill it straight into your finger. And so they have like uh, a live x-ray basically so they can see like that it's going in straight and that it's in the middle of the bone because your pinky bones are not that much bigger than the drill bit was
0: that's right so
1: it was quite a task to get it in there and the worst part is that in order to take it out at the end they leave a little bit of it sticking out of the end of your finger and they curl it over so it looks like a hook <laughs> and they say there you go please come back in three weeks maybe and we'll take it out. And I say, oh, like you'll freeze it and take it back out. They're like, no, no, you don't have to freeze it. We'll just pull it out. And I'm like, won't that hurt? And they say, no, no, you like will hardly even feel it. And I'm like, yeah, freaking right. I don't believe that for a second. And so they give me this cast. That's basically like a little boat for my finger has a little cap on the end and then two straps that go across the top. And so I keep that on my finger. I wrap it up at night so it doesn't come off. And it's been nine days and... (laughs) Actually, on the eighth day, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and kind of like feeling my finger half asleep and being like, "Oh wow, that's a really bad hangnail," and kind of try like almost trying to get it off. And then I f- like wake up and I'm like, "Oh, that's not a hangnail. That's that's the end of the pin." And somehow my cast has come off in the middle of the night. Put that aside. I put the cast back on. It was fine. I went back to bed. The next day, I wake up in the middle of the night. I'm like, I don't know. Apparently, I like to. F- feel out my own hands in the middle of the night, but I'm feeling my finger and I'm like, oh yeah, that's the one that's broken. And I feel the end of it and there's no, there's nothing there. And I'm like, what the heck, what the heck? I wake up, I, I look at my finger, there's nothing in there except a hole at the end of it. I turn to my right, lying beside me in my bed is my cast and I pick the cast up and out falls the pin that was in my finger. All of this happened while I was asleep. I didn't even wake up whenever it came out of my finger. And so (laughs) I remember holding the pin in one hand, holding my cats in the other. And it was, I think it was like 6 a.m. I run down the stairs, like, do, 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 run down the stairs. I'm like, luckily my mom was up. I was like, Mom, look what happened. I'm like holding the pin in one hand and my cats in the other. And she was just like, totally taken aback obviously she was not expecting that to see that and so we call the hand doctor and he says okay well come in and if it's still straight it's probably sticky enough that we don't have to repin it but i'm not sure so we go back to the hospital They do another x-ray and he says it's straight but you need to keep it in the cast for like at least another week or else it's not going to be it's we're going to have to repin it and I was like oh please don't have to repin it like that was the worst feeling of like something someone drilling something into your bone so i go home the cast stays on thank goodness and i don't have to get it repinned
0: it sounds to me like you should have slept with a handcuff on <laughs> on know. your left on your left hand
1: i know i think it was because the pin curled up and the straps came across the top of my finger so as the cast came off it hooked the pin And the pin came out with it. So the one thing I learned is that it is not painful to take a pin out, apparently, because it didn't wake me up.
0: Instantly, yeah.
1: I was like, okay, well, I guess now I believe the doctors when they said it wouldn't hurt.
0: (laughs) And clearly not as painful as your broken ankle.
1: Oh, yeah. Nothing like that. And basically that injury kind of decided the rest of my year. I could have come back right at the end based on the timeline of my injury, but to me wasn't worth it that was my redshirt year
0: mentally how were you doing though in that second year I'm assuming there might have been some frustration
1: yeah it was hard not to play I think also like after having such an awesome first year and like doing well and like having a good role on the team and it all being so positive I think it was hard to deal with the setback for sure but at the end of the day like you learn so much more when you face adversity than when it's all going great I think when I did come back, like I appreciated it so much more and I didn't take it for granted and I enjoyed coming to practice every day and like being able to play and just like I don't know being like able to stand in a hitting line and like make jokes with people during a drill or something like that. So it definitely made me more appreciative, more thankful of the time that I am injury free and when I can play. And then also just like how to kind of take it all with a grain of salt. Like it's not the end of the world. And I would so much have rather like had a, an ankle or a finger injury than had a, had a head injury where it, it affected me in school.
0: Your computer tried to do that to you.
1: <laughs> I know. <laughs> I almost got taken out by my own laptop.
0: So going into your third year, but your second year of eligibility,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it was probably one of your best seasons as a dino. And you guys were just having a terrific year as well. And you go into postseason, and then you've play ubco in the quarters i feel like there was a lot of growth for that team there i know you guys didn't have the result that you guys wanted Mm -hmm. i was able to call that game so I, i saw everything that was going on but yeah what were some learning moments for you guys
1: gosh i mean that first night because when i was in my first year we also had the four or five matchup in quarterfinals at home and we played ubc and we lost both nights basically my next year of eligibility. It was two years later as the calendar goes, but we had that four or five matchup again. And so a lot of us had been through that two years previously, been through that loss and knew what it felt like. And so when we won on that first night, it was like, it was like the best thing that had ever happened to us. Like for all the girls on that team, we'd never won a playoff game. And so we were pretty hyped on it. And then the next night this Saturday. We were confident going in. UBCO played a lot better than they did on the first night. And a lot of people have said like, oh, do you think you were overconfident? Did you think you go you went into it expecting to win? And I don't think that was it. I think UBCO played a lot better to give them credit. And like I think the moment was a little too big. Because I think we were up two one. I can't quite remember. But I remember feeling like it was really close. Like we were really close to finishing. And I think we all wanted it so bad, and we'd never been in a situation like that before where we were trying to close out a playoff series and yeah, I think there were obviously some some errors that were made in that game and
0: just not playing within your systems, I guess,
1: yeah, like some totally like just trying to be the hero and not trusting your teammates and trusting yourself and trusting your training. so we let that one slip away from us. and I remember after that game feeling like i like how are we gonna play again? tomorrow like right, we yeah, like turn around those that like emotional high on friday and then the emotional low on saturday like that was a roller coaster and we were all exhausted i remember every before every game that year everyone came over to my house and we had like a pregame meal my grandma who lives in calgary had brought like crave cupcakes for everyone like the full size ones not even the mini ones i'm like grandma i don't like <laughs> I would eat this before a game, but I don't know if everyone else would. Everyone loved it. Everyone had a cupcake before the game. And then we played so well. So my grandma goes, well, of course I have to bring them again on Saturday. I'm like, you don't have to. But if you want to, that's fine. And so she brings them again on Saturday. And we don't win. And she goes, nope, I have to bring them again on Sunday. So everyone had a cream cupcake before the game. Um,
0: For all three games.
1: All three games. Yeah. That third day was just a combination of just being mentally and physically exhausted. I just remember in that game thinking, like, how is UBCO so fresh? Like, they look like they haven't just played two exhausting games back to back.
0: Well, it's because they don't have a thousand grams of sugar in them.
1: This <laughs> was a sugar crash mid-game. But no, they had a very old team and a really good senior class. and That's right, they did. I think that was a huge benefit for them.
0: So you end up not getting the result that you wanted in the Canada West playoffs that year. But you do have an interesting off-season. A couple things happened. You tried out for Team Canada. Mm -hmm. And we'll get to your beach story in a moment. But first, yeah, let's talk a little bit about your experience with that whole progression.
1: Yeah, so basically Team Canada was having an open tryout that spring, um, that May, because they just hired the new head coach. And he kind of wanted to get a feel for who was out there, who wanted to play.
0: Where was the tryout?
1: Richmond, B.C. Okay. Yeah. So, and me and Chev went. Um, so we practiced a little bit in April and then went to the tryout together. It was a five-day tryout. So we get there on Sunday, play Monday to Friday. And then on Friday night, you get told whether or not you made it. Overall, it was a pretty humbling experience for me because I'd never tried out for a team and not made it.
0: Hmm. And
1: I knew going in, like, it would be difficult and I might not make it, but I thought, that that was a good thing and i thought putting myself in a, a vulnerable position like that where something that is a little bit scary and a little bit risky and i don't know for sure if i'm going to make it like i thought that would be good for my growth as a player and also <laughs> as a person i thought i played i had a good tryout like i thought i played well on friday they call you in to like meet with the assistant and the head coach and they kind of like do the spiel and tell you what you need to work on and tell you what you're not good at. And then they tell you if you made it or not. So I remember them telling me that I needed to try harder. And that was hard to take.
0: Hmm.
1: Because, I mean, people have mentioned that to me before, but it's always coupled with, it looks like you're not trying that hard. Maybe it's just that you're making it look easy. And so I was like, okay. And then they tell me that at the tryout, they said you you need to try harder and you need to grow up. And I was like, Oh God, like that's pretty harsh commentary. And then they say, you didn't make it unfortunately. Like, please come back next year, blah, blah, blah. And so I walk out of that meeting and I'm just like, what the heck? Like mm. I've never, like no one's ever told me that I don't work hard, you know? right, And that I don't care about it and that I need to grow up and be more mature Like I have played up my whole life. And so that was just like kind of out of left field for me.
0: That just floored you probably, eh? Yeah,
1: Yeah. it really threw me. And I basically like, as soon as I heard that, I called Nat. And uh, I was like, Nat, this is what they said to me in the meeting. Like, is that true? Like, am I- Right, you
0: start evaluating how you played in previous years.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, is that who I am? Like, is that what it seems like? Do I, like, does it seem like I don't work hard? And she's like, that's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so that experience. Also, there's some other things that went wrong at the tryout. And I think because it was his first year, some of the organizational stuff wasn't great. Um, and the way it was run, I don't think was beneficial for everybody. But besides that, I mean, it's it's made me be a stronger player for sure, like knowing That there's people that do believe in me and that don't think those things and then just kind of like dealing with Being told that and like what that brings up in terms of like insecurities or past failures or Whatever it may be. I think that that was really powerful. It
0: made you mentally tougher.
1: Yeah, for sure And like that I wanted to prove them wrong Yeah, and then but not making that team allowed me to play canada summer games beach volleyball. Beach volleyball. Yeah. So I switched gears. Basically I'd gone to Richmond at the beginning of May for the team Canada indoor tryout. I'm, I get home for a week kind of like mellow in my, in my disappointment. And then the week after I go to Toronto, um, for our like team Alberta beach training camp, which there were five of us that went and then she picked Um, We had a week training with team Ontario beach and then we played in two tournaments that weekend um, With different partners and then she told us at the end who she was picking um, So essentially it was
0: a tryout again.
1: Yeah, (laughs) it was like another tryout for beach volleyball this time
0: But it was a week-long tryout.
1: Yeah So basically like we practiced twice a day For like the tuesday to friday and then we played a one-day tournament on saturday one day tournament on sunday And she just made the decision based on that, based on our result and how we meshed with people, how we played with different partners, et cetera. So I ended up making that team. And my partner was Olivia Ferlin, who goes to UBC and who's also from Calgary. So that was great. And I've known their family for a while. So I already knew her, which was awesome for our partnership. And then, yeah, we trained all of July. And then Canada Games was the first week of August. There were two waves and we were in the first week wave. And I was lucky that basically I that the cutoff for that was like 1997s and younger. And I'm a January 97. So I was like in that cutoff by 16 days. So I was definitely the oldest person playing beach volleyball at Canada Summer Games. But it worked out well.
0: I was going to say you're a couple of years older than Liv. Mm-hmm. So you actually never really got to play with her. Yeah, she's...
1: So I think she's a December 98. So she's almost two full years younger than me. And she was two grades younger than me. Um, So when I was in grade 12 at Aberhart, she was in grade 10. We went to the same high school. So I always knew of her, but I was actually in the same grade as her sister. So I played club with Sophia, who now is the libero at UBCO. And so I always knew Soph better than I knew Liv, just because of the age. But Liv is super talented and has always like also played up on on older teams just like i had
0: what was more important for you guys to get on the same page and get clicking off-court bonding or on-court reps
1: on-court reps for sure i think just not having played together before and also coming from different positions like i was a left side she was a setter slash right side slash right side yeah and plus when you play beach, like so much of it is that partner connection on the court and like knowing where each other are and knowing what decisions to make and kind of knowing what the other person will do in what situation. So yeah, a lot of it was focused on our on-court chemistry and we did have defined roles. Like I was the blocker and she was the defender, um, which both of us had never done before. Like usually- Like when in, you and
0: Tessa were playing?
1: Yeah, we would just split block. Okay. So whoever wasn't serving would be the blocker. And that's what most people do in youth beach volleyball is just split block or not block at all. Okay. And the only bad thing about being the blocker is that once you serve, you have to sprint to the net Yeah. and block. And we and already you don't have talked that much about talent. how
0: much you hate running.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was the hard hardest part of being the blocker. But I, I enjoyed kind of like having a defined role and like getting like having one thing to work on and then like trying to get really good at it. And knowing Liv was like working just as hard to to play that defender role.
0: And then you guys end up cherry on top with the national championship.
1: Yeah, Canada Games was a, sup- a really cool experience. It was in Winnipeg, the gem of Manitoba. It was <laughs> in the heat of summer. We got there and <laughs> I remember our first practice when we were there, we show up to the courts like feeling good and we just sucked. It was awful. It was the worst we've played all year. And I remember as we came home, like, back to the dorms where we were staying at U of M. And we just talked it out. We were like, I don't think either of us have ever played that bad in a long time. And we were like, what is it? Like, are we not focused? Are we, is the, is, are we distracted by different things? Is the weather distracting us? And it was a whole combination of things. But the way we <laughs> decided to get over it was we decided we weren't having enough fun. So the next day at practice, we dressed in Alberta blue. So all the blue things we had brought, we wore to practice that day. We tried not to think about the fact that it was 37 degrees and humid while we were practicing. Like the whole time, you're just like, as soon as you start moving, you're drenched in sweat. (laughs) And then like diving in the sand, you just get absolutely like covered. so dirty.
0: Well, since you're sweaty, it's sticking to you as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. It's like you're wearing a sand coat by the end. (laughs) But we, it was like, we totally turned it around. And from that point on, it was kind of just like, well, if we're not having fun, not only is this experience not going to be fun, but we're probably not going to do well. That's right. And I think for both of us, we're very like, have a similar mentality on the court. We're extremely competitive and we really, really hate losing. (laughs) So it's easy when you're, when you have that mentality to take yourself too seriously and, and get too involved too invested and too serious about things and like worry too much if you make a mistake so I think for both of us like just reminding ourselves to have fun and laugh about funny things that happened or if you miss a serve under the net like don't don't be upset about it just laugh about it so that was like a huge turning point point. and then at Canada Games like we played the best we played all summer so we peaked at the right moment <laughs>
0: That's all that matters.
1: Found that magic key. Yeah.
0: So from those experiences, how did that help you in developing as a player into this past year, which is your third year of eligibility? Mm -hmm.
1: I think like having that letdown of not making team Canada and then kind of like trying to make the best of a bad situation by like going to another tryout, putting myself out there again and then making it and having such a great experience. I think it kind of showed me like, that it's not over till it's over, and if something doesn't work out the way you think it will, like it doesn't mean that it's impossible. I think, like having lost two Can West quarterfinals, like in both the years that I'd played at UFC, like some part of me thought that it wasn't possible to win a quarterfinal, mm. and because I'd been like we'd been let down so many times, and well, twice feels like a lot <laughs> yep. when it's back to back.
0: That pattern starts to develop.
1: Totally, right? and it's like it's like a monkey on your back, like it's like are we cursed? Like, can we actually win a quarterfinal? And so I remember the only time I got super emotional in our, in our playoff run this year was after we won that second game against Mount Royal and we won our quarterfinal. I remember like being like, as soon as it was done, I was like, I'm super emotional. I remember like going up in the stands, like hugging my dad and just like crying and that game wasn't even close. It was like 3 nothing both nights. And we knew we should win and we knew we could win.
0: Um, but it just meant so much more.
1: Yeah. And like the relief of just being like, oh, we won a quarterfinal. Like also coupled with the fact that after winning that quarterfinal, we knew we were going to nationals like no matter what happened in the That's semi in right. the final. But yeah, winning that quarter was like pretty emotional.
0: In that playoff run, you guys faced a lot of good teams though. Mm -hmm. what was the toughest matchup for you guys? Because you guys played Mount Royal, you played U of A, and then you played UBC in the finals.
1: Yeah, I think it was U of A. Every year we play U of A, no matter who, like what the teams are like, what the rankings are like, it's always like a heated battle. And I don't know if it's like there's some sort of rivalry, or we just hate losing to them, or I don't know what it is. But we always get pretty hyped for those games and so did they. So they came into our gym the Friday night. I think we won in five. And I'm pretty sure like the last point of that game, I think we were down 12, 13 in the fifth. All I remember is that the last point, Beth got a huge stuff on Shawnee, one of their middles. And it was just like, it was so hyped. And we were all so excited because it was such a close match. and, And U of A as they showed at Nationals, like we're a really good team and they had really good chemistry and amazing defense. So like winning that semi, I think kind of like put us on a roll for the next two, like winning the second night against U of A in four and then eventually like winning the Can West final against UBC. I think that first night against U of A, that first night of the semifinal kind of like gave us the confidence to be like we can close out really against really good teams.
0: So last season was just phenomenal for you guys. 21-3, 42 points, good for tops in the Canada West, winning your last nine games. Like, your last loss was in January, I believe.
1: Yeah. We didn't lose, we were undefeated at home.
0: Was your guys' team mentality different that year?
1: Yeah. Not only, like, we expected to win every game, but, like, we knew it was 100% in our control whether or not we won. And... If we showed up and did our best and worked together, trusted each other, trusted our training, that we could win no matter who our opponent was, no matter what the score was, no matter if we were down two sets, we knew it was 100% within our capabilities. And I don't think we'd ever had that belief before. I think a lot of my first and second years were knowing we were good enough, but not knowing if we were capable of it in the moment. Of pulling out a win against a good team. And then this year just like knowing we knowing we were capable of it. And knowing it was 100% within us.
0: So you guys have a pretty strong mindset winning Canada West. And then you guys head to Nationals in Laval. Mm-hmm. Did you feel you guys were maybe a little overhyped? Or were you guys at the right emotional level?
1: It's hard because so many things leading up to that week had gone right. I mean, I don't want to blame it on exterior factors because at the end of the day, like if either you win the game or you don't, but not having that there was a big deal. Like we practiced not having her there. Like one of our league weekends, she stayed home and Al was our head coach. I think it was against Thompson Rivers. So we tried to simulate what that would be like not having her at a game, but you don't realize it's so typical. Like you don't realize how much you depend on someone until they're not there and until they're not saying the things they normally say, making you feel comfortable, whether like whatever the situation is. And for a lot of us, like nationals was the icing we had done so well. We'd ex- like achieved all these goals that we wanted, but I don't think a lot of us like totally believed would happen because it's hard to put yourself hundred percent into something and make yourself vulnerable and allow yourself to feel like super passionate about something you don't know for sure is going to happen. So once we won Can West, like, I think we'd already accomplished so much and, like, grown so much in a single year from not making, like, Final Four to winning Can West and being ranked first going into Nationals. Like, we'd accomplished so much already that year and surpassed so many people's expectations that, for me at least, like, Nationals was the icing on the cake. And winning a game at Nationals that quarterfinal against Laval was pretty a really cool feeling and we lost to two great teams. Like, yeah, there were things we could have done differently and had the circumstances been different, maybe things would have changed. I don't know. But I think when you look at the season as a whole, it's unbelievable what we did, but I think we did the best with the cards we, we were given. And I think we're all pretty proud of it.
0: Well, and just to clarify for those that may not know the hand that you guys were dealt you alluded to it before, but mm-hmm. Natalie Guernsey, your guys' head coach, had a baby around that time right before. or
1: Wednesday. So we flew on the Tuesday. We'd said goodbye to Nat at the airport. Um, and I think it was the Tuesday night she called Al and she ended up having to be induced because of certain complications. Um, so she was induced on the Tuesday night. I think she gave birth on the Wednesday. But anyways... It was distracting (laughs) Mm -hmm. because we're sitting there at dinner like, Al, what is she saying? What is she saying to you on the phone? Tell us. Did she have the baby yet? Is she in labor? What's happening? Because we all were so invested in it Um, and obviously like cared for her and wanted to make sure she was okay. So that was pretty exciting. And then like she sent us pictures on like the Friday of of little Levi and it was pretty awesome. So
0: that's pretty incredible. You accomplished more than you thought you ever did personally. And as a team. And then after that, you have a nice off season summer, Mm -hmm. get to hang out with some kids. Big girl job. And then this opportunity comes up out of the blue from Doug Reimer, head coach UBC Thunderbirds, Mm -hmm. and says, hey, you wanna go to Brazil?
1: Yeah, that's basically how it happened. (laughs) I didn't think I would play any volleyball this summer because it was a pretty, I was pretty invested this year and feeling a little run down after the season um, just because of how long it had gone. Basically, if you make playoffs in Canada West and make subsequently make nationals. It's like a month added on to the end of your season. And those weekends of games are like it's so heightened compared to like regular league games because there's so much more on the line. And so ended up getting a job with one of my professors as a research intern at the university. And then I also coached some beach on the side at scenic acres community center shout out. So I'm doing my own thing, minding my own business not playing any volleyball. And then I get this text from one of my old coaches, Reed Brody, who I was actually working for at the time, coaching at JVC, um, the Junior Varsity Center, that uh, the gym that they just opened that the Dinos Club is now run out of. And she says, can you call me? And I thought it was about me, like a shift or something um, at the JVC. So I think nothing of it. I call her after work in the parking lot. She says, are you available to go to Brazil? And it was just out of left field. Like I had no context for where it was coming from. I didn't even know that Fichu was happening that summer, Fichu Americas. I didn't know Canada was sending a women's team. I'd heard that the Trinity guys were going as the men's team, but I didn't even think there was a women's team. So basically they've given the birth, the Canadian team birth to whoever won nationals in 2017, which for women was UBC. Um, So the Fichu Games happen every two years. They're a summer universiad for basically all sports that are played in university, and you have to be a university student to be eligible um, to play in the games. And so they'd happened the previous summer, and they happen every two years. So I thought it was an off year. But this year, 2018, was the first year they were hosting a Fichu Americas, which is basically a continental, smaller version of the Fichu Games. So it's a way to just keep people... engaged and keep those countries coming back and their keep their development going and so because it was the first year it was a little unorganized and they had kind of just given the birth to not necessarily a complete team Canada but they kind of gave the power to the head coach of UBC which is Doug Reimer and said you can make a team you can send a group of people but A lot of the, like most of the cost isn't covered by Volleyball Canada for Fichu games. So you'll have to cover some of the cost. So Doug, he kind of used it as an opportunity to develop his rookies and his younger players. So a lot of the girls on the team, maybe four of them actually weren't in university yet, but they're going to UBC next year. So 10 of the girls were from UBC and then two girls were from U of A and he then recruited Reed Brody, who um, is a coach at the Dinos Club, because she can speak Portuguese and she lived in Brazil playing pro for a year when she was 18. Um, and she's like still super close with her billet family and has all these connections there. So she was an awesome person to have on that trip. And the way she s- sold it to me, was <laughs> she said, she said, well, Doug, why aren't you taking anyone from UFC and Doug says, well, "I don't know. I guess I could use an, an older left side cuz all the left sides are are either recruits or just finished their first year." And so she goes, "Why don't you why don't you take Kate?" And Doug goes, "Okay, sure. Ask her if she's interested." And I didn't really know how to say no. Like I don't know how you turn that down, like an, an opportunity to go to South America, play volleyball, meet new people, play for new coaches and have this like amazing experience at of games. That Get would... some
0: insight intel on opposing teams.
1: <laughs> a little bit, just a little. <laughs> I did some prying, just a little bit. And then, yeah, flew to Brazil in the middle of July, basically met the team at the airport. I had only met like five of them of, of 12. So I met all the newbies at the airport in Brazil. Yeah, and then just had like an amazing experience. Like We practiced for three days at these different Brazilian gyms most of which didn't have walls. And <laughs> I remember the first day we were, we were going through rotations because on any team you play for, the coach wants you to do things a little bit differently. So we were going through these changes and basically going through rotations, you just stand on the court and talk and ask questions. And, and so I'm standing there and I, I'm like, oh, there's a mosquito on me. And then I start swatting them and I realize they're everywhere because we're just standing still. So I'm like swatting these bugs off me, like Doug, can we please start practice? Can we please start moving? Because I think they won't bite me if if we're at least we're moving. And no one brought repellent. Yeah, you don't think to bring repellent for an indoor sport. <laughs> You're like, I don't need to wear bug spray for indoor volleyball. Like that's, that's just the last ludicrous. thing that's on your mind. Yeah. So yeah, I'm fine. I didn't get Zika or malaria or whatever it is. But and yeah, just overall, like it was an amazing experience. It was so much fun. It was super cool to meet all these new people. And people too that like I'd played against for three or four years, but I'd never talked to them. Or like one of the girls from U of A, Erin, I'd played against her since I was thirteen. And I'd never talked to her really. Like I'd never had a full conversation. But you see it's kind of the kind of people you see all the time, but you don't actually know. And so it was really cool to connect with her and be on the same side of the court for once.
0: Right, she's always been on the other side of the net for you. Yeah,
1: she's always been the opposition. So so. the
0: one question I had for you, though, I saw a picture of you and Erin. She's wearing number one. Mm -hmm. Did you have any conversation with her around (laughs) who gets that jersey?
1: No. There were some corners that were cut in the budgeting. So we just wore um, our white jerseys were old Dinos Club jerseys. Okay. Which everyone was super... Super peeved about that we had jerseys that said dinos on them, but I felt right <laughs> at home And then our red jerseys were these old canada jerseys that actually said canada masters on them And so they just ended up like assigning us numbers by what size we were So I was number seven though, which it looks similar to one
0: And what what are some things that you took away from that experience at brazil that Can benefit you coming into this season here?
1: I think it was kind of reinvigorating like, I think after last year, it was so positive and we did so much good stuff. But after a season like that, like, you're just so drained. I think having that time off and then going to Brazil and having so much fun, like, kind of, like, got me excited to start another season, basically, and and go back into it and get back into the routine of, like, working out and practicing and going to school and playing on the weekends and traveling and everything that comes with it.
0: So I think we'll end it right here, Kate. I know your story is far from over, but I just wanted to thank you so much for coming in and Mm -hmm. sharing a little bit about your journey up until this point and uh, excited to see how the rest of it plays out for you.
1: Yeah, me too. Hopefully some more, some more funny stories to come.
0: (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Play. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button, and you can also find other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Don't forget to check out the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes on the way, make sure to follow on Instagram at Reading the Play, and myself, Jeremy Lee, at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Kate's story that can impact, inspire, and ignite you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode. (music) OOF <music>